2: we have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo
0: 11. Welcome to our new Space Vision podcast number 10. Our guest today is Tom Segert, founder and CEO of Burden Space Technologies. We have been in contact already since a couple of years. He has been a speaker of one of our first events. And so we are really happy to welcome him back here uh, at our podcast. On his LinkedIn page, he writes, last 20 years... I have shaped the space industry both locally and globally. I have built Germany's most successful new space company, BSD, and I'm now implementing the Henry Ford moment for satellites. That sounds really great, really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and
1: your company? Hi, hi Sven. Hi, Daniel. As you said, uh, I have been in the business for it's almost 20 years, since uh, 2002. So the, the company Berlin Space Technologies is uh, one of the global leaders in manufacturing small satellites and very focused on mass manufacturing. So uh, we have a very good track record on building small satellites in the range of maybe 50 to 150 kilograms and uh, what we have done for a long time now is focused our um, our r d on on mass manufacturing of satellites and to that end we have uh, basically built a factory in india uh, together with an indian partner which has the capability of uh, about 250 satellites manufactured every year and uh, so uh, it's a very exciting time and uh, not only the, the space access of this world and the one webs of this world can can build large number of satellites but um, this uh, small company of Berlin with uh, its Indian partner can too.
2: That's super interesting, and also Sven and I um, we always followed you. And actually, the day where we met, uh, we uh, we also have seen you for the first time in 2016, and we visited uh, your office uh, back then. And you you were always very visionary. Uh, that that's what we really liked about you. And at one of our meetups in Berlin, uh, where where you were our our guest, um, you told your super interesting founding story. Um, can you maybe give us a short version of it uh, to share with our guests?
1: Oh, the, the the short version of uh, of of the founding story. Well, you know, if uh, uh, you can you can see that uh, already. Berlin Space Technologies, uh, which was founded in 2010, has a has a very very long busy history already. So it's not really a startup. So 10 years uh, down the road, um, and uh, so. But we we started very small, and three guys uh, from from the university: uh, Matthias, Björn, and myself. And we, we founded the company essentially with the aim to uh, build small satellites because uh, that was what we have been doing at the university. And we always uh, wanted to do something that um, is truly commercial, meaning not dependent on on taxpayer money and that was um let's say uh, bsc was not my my first company was uh, was the second one but generally the idea of um of uh, doing really commercial uh space uh, stuff was uh not something that uh many people in germany you know wanted to hear at that time point in time so the, the the beginnings was uh very humble so we have uh try to to build everything and bootstrap everything and uh, so the the task was always to find and convince customers right and so the the first years were 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 really all about uh, finding those customers and convincing them sometimes onto your your empty labs right so uh, i i can remember when we when we got our first uh, large contract that was in uh in 2012 um for the Canadian uh, company uh, euro The Cast or Earthcast uh that was a half a million uh, euro contract and at back at that time we had uh, uh basically just you know three founders and uh, and two little rooms of 18 square meters and uh, in fact we when, when the guys asked me, like, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, we want a Star Trekker and I'm like, okay, we have a Star Trekker. Cool, cool. Um, and then they said, okay, we want the Star Trekker to be mounted on the ISS. And I told them, like, you, you're at the completely wrong place. <laughs> you're going to a, to, to somebody, um, for the, for the equivalent of the cars, right? So you're looking for something like a Maybach, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're at best at a, Volkswagen or or you know uh, Toyota uh, type of of car and then of course uh, you don't go to uh, to uh, to a company that this is uh, focused for low cost uh, stuff when you when you're looking something for the space station that was at least our understanding but uh, I guess that honesty um, uh, brought uh, us the deal and uh, then we had to build something for it and uh, we then increased our our labs to uh, from that was thirty square meter to rooms to hundred Square meters, and then uh, basically, uh, some other people came to us and asked us, "Okay, can you um, can you sell us uh, some satellites?" And we said, "Sure, uh, that is what what we love to do." And uh, basically, uh, go uh, come uh, see here. They are still very empty these labs, uh, but uh, you know, instant satellite lab just as, at cash. Uh, and so uh, we got a contract uh, from from Singapore for for building two satellites from them. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, that, uh, that was basically, uh, the, the, really his starting point where we then hire just 20 people within, within six months or so, and, uh, got in two years, uh, built a complete satellite uh, system from scratch. And then from there, from every time from there, we, we basically were in the business, so to say, right. So that, that was, uh, I mean, the, a bit abridged version, keeping out some of the failures that came beforehand.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's super interesting because, uh, you said, okay, then you had to build the Star Trek for the ISS. And I remember, and I want to share the story with our listeners, that uh, then you were asked for the price. Oh, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs>
1: you,
2: you, you actually said uh, the number and uh, looking into it, to it in the retro perspective, you said uh, maybe you could have asked for the uh, like yeah. 10 times the price, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's
1: true. So so basically our Star Trek at that time were about uh, 20,000 euros each. And, uh, so when we heard ISS, we told them we don't want to do that and they still wanted to buy it from us. So we, uh, told them, you know, we'll sell it to you for, for basically 250,000. And, um, so that was 10 times the price and they immediately agreed. Uh, and we thought maybe, you know, that it was too low cost. And then afterwards, uh, they asked us, uh, for some, some more things, uh, basically do some more quality assurance stuff, which they before had, they would do themselves. And we said, okay, that's now 500,000. But, um, um, again, they agreed, um, very quickly. Uh, we learned afterwards that, uh, they had just bought from, MDA, uh, one slide computer, one one flight computer for basically 4.3 Canadian, 4.3 million Canadian dollars. So our two Star Trekkers for for half a million seemed a, a steal for them. Uh, for us, uh, you have to imagine that uh, the year before we made that uh, sale for the Star Trek, we had basically just 50,000 euros turnover. So we we had the audacity to basically go mm-hmm. in first uh, yeah. uh, to go with uh, five times and later with ten times uh, the uh, the turnover of the uh, of of our last year's uh turnover and, and and that is that has been very characteristic and that that is typically a, a challenge for for anybody wanting to bootstrap a, a company because your bank doesn't like that you you would you would think that that your bank would would say oh great you you have a customer who wants to buy something from you that it's 10 times more uh bigger than than your last year's uh, uh turnover no banks don't want that um, actually, they're pretty happy if you do an increase of a year over year from, from 10% because slow risk, you know, uh, spread, mm. uh, programs, uh, very far. But, uh, yeah. So, so that was, that was, uh, and has always been the challenge when, when you're not having, um, we, as I said, we don't have a, uh, investor, uh, in the background. Uh, we always bootstrap the stuff and when suddenly, a customer comes and says, here's a big chunk of money um, that actually scares the bank more than it makes them happy.
0: No, I, I just wanted to say, so um, we, we will come to the topic of funding later on <laughs> again. But I was well, I was wondering, so you said, well, you we have three people, you found us yes uh, you three founders and then you, you scale up really quickly you hire 20 people um yes. where do you got these people from and maybe where what's your what's your personal background
1: like oh, oh what, what my personal background is um i'm the guy that talks uh, basically <laughs> uh, so <laughs> i'm 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 uh, i'm uh, my by by education i'm an, uh, i'm a space engineer but um to be honest uh, i i was never that good with with all these you know um calculations and programming and and um uh, and uh, doing some mechanical design so in on all of those things I'm I'm really not uh, you know what what you would call the bleeding edge other people are much better like matthias you know he's a he's a genius in that but um for me what what my strength has always been from the education always during the the university figure out what what do people want what is their need what is their problem, and then trying to translate that to my engineers friends and and basically figuring out okay what what can we do, and and that basically you know, makes, uh, probably an ideal entrepreneur because uh, you're, you know, you have the, you have somehow the, the background, uh, you know, how the, how the technology works, Uh, you can understand what, uh, what your customer wants, and then you can bridge the gap and, and try to find solution because if you're too much, uh, you know, uh, just producing hot air, then, then you will not understand what, what your, your colleagues are able to deliver. And if you're too much, uh, focused on the technical solution, then you're, Potentially cannot understand the, the customer. So, so my background is, is, uh, on paper, a, a space engineer, uh, focused on, on system engineering and, and small satellites. But I would say my uh, vocation is, so to say, to understand what, what's going on and, and how to solve problems and, um, and connecting the dots, so to say.
2: And uh, where did you find uh, like the first twenty employees?
1: Yeah, interesting question. Where did you find them? But we we <laughs>
2: looked we looked, month, right? that was we looked really around.
1: Research. Yeah, so um, essentially. Um, we hired some friends of friends that that were a, f- a few guys i mean if you if you are uh, talking with friends and you tell them hey we are we you know we have a contract for a satellite company and we have to build a satellite and and, and that gets usually the attention of uh, of of people right that you have to see that we were in the business much longer than you know the 2010 already so many people kept writing us, hey Tom uh, hey matthias hey bjorn uh, do you have uh do you have uh, positions to hire somebody right and uh so so it, there was always more people that wanted to work for us, and we had uh um, potential places to to hire them and I think we only once uh put something on LinkedIn uh, saying we we have some uh open positions and then we uh, hired a few people there, but I think mostly people come because they know us uh they have seen something about us. I mean, um, it's a network. It's a, it's a network. Yes. You you would call it a network, even though it probably never occurs to me that like that, but yeah, likely like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, like 10 years ago, uh, you were also really like an an early mover in the private space industry. Right. I mean, as you said also on on (laughs) and on your LinkedIn profile, Uh, but I think that that was like 10 years ago, uh, even more interesting for a lot of engineers uh, to not, I like to work in a private space company uh that's yep. also my next question actually because um i mean you said you can you build and uh and operate like the satellite um right you're doing it end to end yes um can you tell us uh, how many companies in in germany maybe in europe also um could actually build and operate a satellite like you uh, can do end to end back then when you launched the first satellite and how it is uh, today
1: that is, that is a, a difficult question, um, because, um, most of the traditional, um, system integrator that, that work for ESA and, uh, and the other space agencies, they, uh, typically don't build the subsystems. I mean, we build all the subsystems and, uh, and, and more. Uh, and if you go to OHB and to Airbus, they, they outsource a lot of the subsystems. So if you ask, me, how many companies can build it end-to-end, then you probably have to look to the very few uh, small satellite manufacturers that are vertically integrated that can actually do that, right? and uh, so there's there's a handful um uh, i don't think that in uh, in 2010 and and before there were somebody in in germany that that was doing that maybe now there are there are some uh, some spin-offs from from universities who have built cubesat so who can, could potentially uh, build cubesat but i'm i'm honestly not uh, looking towards uh, the the very tiniest satellites so, so much but uh, it's very rare. Normally, normally what you have is that, that people say either they're a subsystem company building one specialized components or multiple specialized components. And then you have the system integrators that build the entire uh, system based on these components. So that's the normal, normal way. Companies that are fully integrated come to mind, for example, SSTL, of course. Right, they they are for sure vertically integrated in and for uh, for for CubeSats uh, probably GomSpace, ClydeSpace, uh, and and uh, Isis. Right, so that's that's but that's that's smaller satellites uh, than uh, than than this type of stuff. Everybody else uh, from the larger satellites, whether that is uh, Kinetic uh, in, in in Belgium or or in in Germany, Astrofin um, Vecttechnik uh, together with uh, OHB, um, they, they do. They do uh, certain parts of it, focused on the on the subsystems. But it is much more common that than people say. Okay, I, I build a system and I buy the subsystem, or I build a subsystem and uh, I sell that to people that build systems.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think you have a very strong opinion also on on cube and small sets, <laughs> right? So we hear that very often.
1: Yeah, that's 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 true. I mean, uh, I mean, of course, I'm biased. I have to tell I'm biased because, of course, I'm building satellites in the range of uh, fifty to one hundred fifty kilos, and so of course, I think that is the right uh, uh, size to build satellites. Uh, but uh, my argument is always that it, the satellite cost comes with the complexity of the mission and not with the with the mass of uh, of, of of the, of the launch mass. Right. And so what I see is that a lot of the people that build CubeSats, um, I mean, it's a good uh, tool for, for education, but it's, I think not such a good tool for, uh, for, for, for business because I mean, if I have a team of 10 people and, and those 10 people need one year to build a satellite, um, then they cost me. Well, let's say a hundred thousand per person cost me 1 million. Uh, and that's completely independent whether I built a one kilogram satellite or I built a one hundred kilogram satellite, right? And uh, and um, of course the main differentiator was uh, until recently was the launch. So of course a uh, one kilogram satellite costs much less to launch than a one hundred kilogram satellite. But um, the SpaceX, uh, you know, um, uh, right chair program is a big equalizer. You get two hundred kilograms for for one million dollars, uh, and that is uh, in. Incredibly low cost, and I would say there's there's no, no real commercial reason uh, to build these uh, tiny CubeSats uh, anymore. Um, because, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan to throw mass at, uh, uh, to, to throw some, you know, increase the mass of the satellite to make my engineering tasks uh, uh, easier. I mean, the, the big the big, uh, secret, so to say, why we were able to build with like 20 people uh, two satellites in just two years and a bit uh, was uh, Precisely because we went a very easy way, right? We, we built an 80 kilogram satellite that had 40 kilogram of structure mass, but that meant that uh, we don't, had to worry about thermal. We didn't have to worry about about radiation and, and and lots of other things. Structure was was not an issue. You know, one centimeter thick aluminum walls. It's like, <laughs> it's like I have the I have the I have the I have the the structure model. Um, you know, on uh, on uh, downstairs in the in the workshop. And and uh, people are always very surprised when they see me that I I have this massive massive forty kilogram structure there, and they're like, "But it's so expensive to launch to space, yeah." But you know, if you, if you compare it to engineers, engineers are more expensive than rocket launchers. Mm-hmm.
0: But I would have a question here. Since you say you decrease uh, the engineering complexity by adding mass, and you don't have to optimize that much for, yep. for mass, and this brings down the engineering cost. But on the other hand side, you're talking about having uh, like constellations of satellites. And if you have a constellation of satellites and none of the satellites is uh, optimized for mass, then you, then you leave a lot of money on the table which you would have uh, been able to save if you would have optimized for, for, for mass and would have decreased the size of satellites if you launched let 's say twenty of these
1: that, that, is, that, is, that is absolutely true, um, but of course uh, true with with moderation i mean um, uh, the the main argument was always it, it takes me about uh, one uh, one hundred thousand euros or one engineering year to reduce the mass of my one hundred kilogram satellite by one kilogram uh, and keep the cost performance the same, right? Uh, And of course, the the last kilograms to reduce is always more expensive than the first ones, but on average, uh, one kilogram, 100,000. And so, of course, uh, if you have a launch cost of uh, 30,000 a kilogram, um, then in the old, good old days, uh, it would mean that, uh, you know, um, you could afford um, three kilograms launch mass for one engineering gear. So that would not work. So in the old days, you would have need to launch at least three kilograms, uh, to to justify um, uh, to justify uh, so uh, a bit of uh, of uh, um, mass optimization right the the tricky part comes now when you're building like tens or hundreds of satellites of course you want to do uh, mass optimization. But of course, you also want that everything is always the same. So you typically make the structure a bit more robust uh, in order to, for it to carry a larger payload, even though maybe 80% of your customers don't need that or 70%, but you want to keep that envelope that you can use the same bus all the time. So, um, and, uh, and uh, then again, also the, the launch cost with, with SpaceX is now at 5,000 euro per kilogram. So the number that was previously three satellites to be optimized is now a factor of six uh, higher right uh, so so i think you have to walk a very very careful line uh, between not over engineering and, and spending billions uh, or millions and millions uh, in in making your your product uh, uh, more cost efficient efficient to launch uh, and then on the other side um, you know um, uh, save what you can what you can save and and we for sure do that, but I can tell you um, we have reduced the launch uh, the the structure mass uh, for our satellites now from maybe forty kilos down to twenty kilos and the the increase in work is not linear it's it's exponentially more complex uh, and it takes much longer and so it's it's you need to be very very careful and uh, in in most cases um you also have to to think that that rockets the larger the rocket um uh, you know is uh it's typically the launch price goes down right so i w- i would say yes do some optimization when you do for, go for constellations but Please don't try to squeeze everything in a small box.
0: Okay, so it's all about the sweet spot and also the Pareto um, yeah. uh, principle also applies here. Okay, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was wondering, I think I was, so Daniel and I, he already said that that before we really knew each other, we met you at, at, the, at the space conference and then you also invited us to to join you for, for a lab visit and it was really impressive because you also described some, manufacturing your yeah, principles some some tools some ways of working to re-decrease the cost of of engineering or of of yeah also like reporting um and, and, and in general how you restructure your satellite factory maybe you can share one or two secrets here
1: um yeah so 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 I I will actually and I, I can point out we we have uh, um we have actually last week uh, done a um a, a video where we uh I think um, made a focus on on something very cool that uh, that is there if you want to build satellites with just you know 20 or 30 people and more more than one in 5 years um you need to automate drastically and automation, uh, in, in the space business doesn't mean robots uh, that do the assembly, because in all honesty, the assembly of a satellite, if you take longer than a week with two people, then, uh, then, uh, you had problems that you have not thought about uh, earlier, but. If you really have worked out your problems and you're really only assembling the satellites, then, then the time to assemble a satellite is anywhere between one week, uh, one one day, one working day to five working days with two people, right? So you, you don't need you don't need robots because robots make sense when you build ten thousands of devices, right? But what is extremely tedious and it is a nightmare for, for everybody working in a space uh, industry is the is the uh, the, the testing. And the mm-hmm. documentation, right? And there's where we have invested a lot of uh, a lot of money and uh, meaning a lot of a lot of hours. And uh, the video that we will probably uh, upload in a in a couple of days is is about um, automatic function testing of devices. So, for example, we have uh, we have a reaction wheel, right? So, small uh, small uh, mechanical component, electromechanical component, and uh, typically when we delivered reaction wheels uh, like three, four, five years ago. Um, we would barely have like, I mean, we would have done a lot of tests, but we always would have problems to write everything down because that takes so much time. And, uh, and what we have done basically right now is not only have we automated the entire test process, so we just plug the test, the, the, the device into the test rig. We also uh, then generate the res- results and from the results, we have a script that generates the entire test report in a human readable form, which is really cool so so uh, we done we have done that exercise last week. It just basically takes uh, half an hour to do the entire test on two minutes to generate the full automatic report with all the graphs with all the things that the customer wants to see and that's actually the short function test the long function test which takes two hours uh, gives you a 380-page report that no human has written, but it is human-readable and it contains all the information a, a ESA quality assurance guy would want. And and I think that is that is where where uh, that's really I think the the pinnacle of of where you have to go with with uh, satellite manufacturing. You need to ensure that the that the that the quality is high by involving the least amount of uh, humans because no human wants to do that. And and uh, and uh, so we have applied that on on many different uh, devices. Our Star Trekker, for example, the first Star Trackers we assembled took us like three months to do the calibration of the testing. Uh, we now can assemble a Star Trekker and fully do the acceptance test in maybe like something like eight hours. Right. So, so, so I think this is, this is the innovation that you need to do when you want to go to, to mass manufacturing. Other things that we are known for is the, uh, the utilization of, uh, non-space stuff. So, for example, I don't know whether that was uh, already there back then, but, um, when you visited, but, uh, you can, for example, you know, when you want to assemble a satellite. You put that onto a rotation device, right? It's these, these white metal things that can turn the, the satellite around. And uh, if you, you know, ask a, your, your standard, um, space company to provide you one, they give you a stack of paper and tell you that's a hundred thousand euros, right? And so what we figured out is that our satellite is round about the size of a, of a gearbox or a motor of a car. And so I can buy for a couple hundred uh, uh, euros. I can buy such a rotation device for for a car motor or car gearbox, and then just build the adapters on 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 top of that. And that uh, basically gives you for less than ten thousand euros a complete mechanical uh, support unit, right? And and this spirit we have been using for for a lot of equipment, right? So you. You can, uh, build, uh, big devices to move like, like, uh, goniometers. You can buy them either from a space company. You can, or you can, uh, you know, buy that from a non-space company. The same with optical measurement equipment, right? Uh, big collimators can cost half a million euros, or you're basically buying an astronomy telescope and, uh, calibrate that yourself. So I think, um, there's a lot of things uh, that you can use from non-space industry uh, that you can spin in in your equipment, not only in space but also on ground, and uh, that makes your life so much easier and that that saves you a lot of money. And we are good, big fans of that
2: i really like that so to to sum it up you have uh, vertical integration uh with the reporting automatization you have like really a software innovation in the hardware manufacturing process you're using commercial off the shelf parts right so it's actually all the check boxes which you need for a successful new space company which is really the, like you could use those things as, as maybe some definitions of new space uh, companies i really like that uh, another thing uh what uh um, Sven also uh, wanted to mention is um that the the story with the head cams in in your office back then oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: that is that is that is true actually actually uh that that uh, i can i can go on to that right so we we have the policy that uh, we, of course, uh, you know uh, space is about paperwork, right? So, some uh, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, uh, when he was asked what's the difference between his uh, a space uh, company um, and and ours, uh, he he told uh, the, the the one that was asking the question, you know, uh, in our company, so the old space company, you you pay for the for for the paperwork and you get an, a, a satellite, you know, as a uh, afterthought. Uh, in 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 the in the company like ours, uh, you get a satellite, and uh, the paperwork is uh, is um, well not the afterthought, but is the uh, is uh, much less the, the central element of it, right? And uh, and so when we were starting out, we had this problem like how to document without writing things down, and so we had the rule that everything that is uh, that you do, you need to. Uh, to need to document and so for for assembly of, 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 of little components in the lab we, we were just using normal uh, uh, cameras uh, snapped a photo and just into the folder and then afterwards like I was call it uh, the Bravo love story of uh, of satellite assembly I don't know whether that's a term in, in English as well but you know imagine your um, newspaper where, where you have a, a, a story shown in pictures and that is what we have been doing for the first uh, three four years and, and of course that works far less in, a, in the clean room for the Final assembly of the satellite because there um, it's far harder to to access everything and so we tried in the beginning with just uh, cameras installed in a room that were taking videos but that didn't give us the details so we basically bought a couple of Sony helmet cameras uh, headband helmet cameras and uh, and had people uh, uh, basically take and view what uh, what uh, what they were doing but to be honest um, that is already like. Two, three years old. Um, because the big problem with that is you only figure out the mistake after it has happened. And then you can go back to the video because nobody wants to really watch those uh, hundreds of hours of, of video. What, what we have now done is, is probably a bit more in the middle. Um, so we ha- are now using for everything, uh, GitLab. Uh, we will have another video about that as well. So GitLab is known from the software industry, uh, a, a, a ticket system where you can basically sh- see what you're doing. Uh, allocate uh, people on that and, and follow up uh, stuff and, and that was uh, uh, basically used by our software department in the last 2-3 years and then we realized, hey, this is actually very, very useful for uh, for all the other departments as well. So we rolled that out uh, during the last two years, and uh, actually now we're even doing the business development with GitLab. It's re- really cool. Like you, you, you have you have basically um uh, templates, uh, templates that can tell you anything from minutes of the meeting to how to assemble a satellite, how to um, issue a, um, you know, there was an incident. Or there has been, uh, there has been a, you know, incident is when, when something goes wrong, right? Or, or there has been a, a test. And then, and then basically, uh, somebody that wants to conduct a test or wants to report an incident just goes into GitLab these days, opens it, says this, uh, system, um, this, uh, this device, uh, has had an incident. And then it will tell you what you have to do to report that take pictures, inform your superiors, uh, and so on and so forth. And that all gets automatically uh, reported now. And the cool thing is that that basically with the help of this software and, and uh, a few other tools that we have, you can basically zoom from the very outside of a satellite and then you can basically point to one screw, zoom in, and I can tell you who has put that screw in and uh, which screw it is. Which, uh, where it has come from. So all the, the hallmarks traditional old space uh, industry has, we have basically implemented with far, far less paperwork because, um, the people just say, okay, I took back number 800 something and I have uh, used it here and, and the software connects the dots. So that's really, really amazing and was a long process Uh, but
2: yeah (laughs) I imagine and I mean GitLab for for the listeners uh, you may know GitHub Uh, GitLab is actually uh, like a competitor to that uh, web-based DevOps lifecycle tool and uh, Tommy you're the first one uh, I hear who's using this for hardware manufacturing it's super cool and I, I have yeah. to think about uh, this a, a bit longer. Really, really interesting.
1: We have probably in three or four weeks, we'll have a video on that, on, on how we use that. And uh, for us, it's, it Where... has been a game, a game changer. And uh, it's really, really cool. I mean, the documentation gets so much better. Hardly anything gets lost. Uh, that's, it's, it's completely uh, day and night from, from maybe two years ago to, to now.
2: Yeah, and I mean...
0: Where can we find these videos?
1: we are, we are now uh, in the in the process of uh, setting up basically a youtube channel but uh, it's not yet there um, but i'll i'll give you the link uh, once uh, once it's done should be done in maybe 2 3 weeks
2: Yeah, uh, we would love to share this with with our audience uh, because we we from yes. latio we are also using gitlab but we are a software company right and, and yeah. that's, uh, that's a good fit but for for hardware manufacturing super super interesting yeah.
0: so everyone who doesn't follow uh, new space vision yet should follow new space vision <laughs> on linkedin <laughs> twitter or facebook and then they Will find the link to the videos Tom just mentioned.
2: Perfect. Yeah. Uh, the last thing, which which also fits to, to this topic of cost optimization and also this like a bit thinking out of the box, um, was um, uh, and, and I remember also back in 2016 uh, on, when you were in a panel discussion with um, uh, Sebastian Schaling from Astrofine about uh, <laughs> simula- simulation, uh, or, or simulating versus testing. Um, that was also f- for me as a uh, um, um, like really un- unexperienced uh, young uh, uh, guy who was just graduating from university. Really nice uh, insights. Can you now tell us a bit what your um, um, yeah what your thoughts are on simulation versus testing? Is it still the same four years later, or did it change?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, uh, um, we we typically simulate the stuff that we can't test. Right. and uh, and we, we are pushing the envelope quite a bit on what we can test uh, because uh, because uh, you can make uh, so many mistakes in, in, in what you are simu- what you're simulating. The, the reason for why people do a lot of simulating before building anything is um, I think mainly because its it's a, it's a matter of of cost they They think writing a software and, and simulating something is is more expensive and then building the thing we have learned and, and we are of the belief that uh, that a lot of the things that if you want to properly simulate them, that takes a lot of time or and or a, a lot of experience. And uh, so for us, it's typically easier to just build something Quickly see how it works. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, the, then um, figure out what what we have learned and then build something new. I mean, we are known for for being able to build a uh, an electronic iteration of one of our boards in in one week time, from figuring out an error to uh, to basically having a new board there. And if I if I would want to simulate that, uh, I mean, I've I've heard horror stories from the industry, from ESA and other places. They they discuss uh, uh, six months. Uh, whether or not to change something on a board design and we would just try it out and and if it works good, if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And so, so yeah, so we are, we're big fans of, of actually doing testing wherever you can and, and build something and test something instead of, uh, instead of just trying to build a, a software representation of it. And it's not very, uh, you know, industry 4.0 because industry 4.0 is all about that, you know, the digital twin and, uh, you know, having, having everything in the digital before you move everything. But the fortunate thing with, with small satellites is they're both not very expensive and not very large, right? So you can do that with a with a modest team, uh, and with modest resources. And I think as long as you can do that, um, testing has a lot of mer- uh, basically building something and testing it very very quickly, figuring out what fails and build something new has a lot of merits. Than uh, trying to simulate that simulation is, I think, very good as well. But only when you don't, when you can't actually have the physical stuff for whatever reason.
0: Cool. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, these were a lot of insights on really how um, you can produce, build and develop satellites in a in a different way from what is standard in a lot of satellite companies out there. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the satellites you're actually building. So uh, what's the demand for satellites? What are the payloads which are um, on your satellites? Are they more targeted at government customers or is it more the private industry? And you already mentioned SpaceX. Is that your, um, uh, your launch company of choice or are there other companies which you, uh, are also launching with?
1: Okay. There's that, a couple of questions. So what, what, what are we doing and who are our customers? Yeah. Usually we are completely export oriented. So we largely don't do stuff in the, in Europe and we don't do stuff in, in, in Germany and, um, for many reasons, largely because uh, ESA and, and Germany are dominated by uh, traditional space agencies, and their budget are eaten up by the traditional guys. So, so we have always been looking beyond that horizon, and so our customers can either be um, emerging space nations uh, that that want to, you know, build uh, capacity. So we have had uh, programs uh, with uh, with Singapore before we founded uh, the company. Uh, Matthias, my, my colleague, was at the university where we did programs with, uh, with Indonesia. Right now, we have uh, programs with uh, Turkey and, and Egypt, right? And sometimes these are government agencies, and sometimes these are private players. And in Turkey, it's a, as a private uh, player um, that, uh, that wants to do commercials uh, Earth observation, right? At the moment, largely our satellite systems are for for Earth observation. Uh, we get also some requests for uh, for uh, telecommunication mega constellation, and but that is more stuff that is focused with our Indian factory. I would say that the people that come to us directly have uh, typically some some. Challenging Earth observation mission and challenging can be because of the payload or because of the cost, right? That's, that's the two, that's the two reasons to come for us. I mean, if they, if they want to do something that, that other people would shy away from, uh, or if, uh, if they think, uh, you know, um, the, the, the Airbuses, uh, of this world is, uh, probably a bit too expensive. So, so at the moment from, from the, from the, from the split, I would say we have, if I ignore my Indian stuff, I would say we have about, uh, 60, 70%, uh, uh, commercial companies and, and the rest is emerging, uh, uh, nations with, with their space agencies, right? Uh, but, but it's still, business is still very dominated by, by commercial, uh, by, 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 by government money, right? If you're, uh, you know, if you look who is buying this, uh, Earth observation data, um, Largely governments, uh, and so uh, even if you have a commercial company uh, building satellites for Earth observation, in most cases, there are still governments uh, that, that are procuring these data and in, in, in large stuff. I mean, uh, it's changing, uh, but it's changing slowly. Um, that was the, the stuff to the, towards the customers for, for our Indian um, entity. I can say, uh, we are looking more towards the commercial, uh, players, uh, globally. And, uh, that's again, both, uh, Earth observation, but also in, in these communication, uh, mega constellations, right? So that was the, the questions about uh, who are our customers. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I would say 80% of our Turnover is is satellites at the moment. Twenty percent is subsystems. So interestingly, we are getting increasing number of of people that want to buy subsystems from us. I think we recently shipped our one hundred and something Star Trekker. Um, so you know, we have a Star Trekker that we developed back in two thousand twelve with with uh, our partners uh, from the Netherlands, Hyperion. Uh, you might have uh, heard of them, uh, and uh, but but most of the other products uh, are sold in much smaller numbers reaction wheels we sold several uh, batteries and and so on but uh, mainly 80% i would say it's uh, is, uh, is is satellites right and then the question about where we are launching so at the moment these uh, rockets are mostly um, chosen by the by the customer right so uh, so we we help them organizing the launch if they want to, and we would also, you know, bring the satellite in orbit. But in most cases, for various reasons, the customer decides uh, they want to be the one that does it. Uh, at the moment, uh, our customers, uh, the Singaporeans, use the the Indian rocket, the PSLV. Uh, so do the uh, the colleagues from from Turkey. Um, the guys uh, from Egypt got a um, uh, offer they con- couldn't uh, refuse from from China. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was cheaper than uh, than SpaceX, uh, and it was very likely a political deal. But I can't comment on that. So, so we're, we'll be launching on on a, on a Chinese rocket uh, sometime soon. What I try to tell my uh, my customers is that they should think a bit broader with the with the with the opportunities that uh, SpaceX has has brought to the market. And uh, you can see that that space is clearly a commer- a, a political market. With uh, Russia and China, basically, you know, uh, lowering the prices pretty much to the SpaceX price these days, and uh, I, I, I don't have an update from from the Indian uh, guys. Um, they so far still stuck with the old prices, but. Almost everybody is is dropping their prices down to what uh, what SpaceX is doing, and that of course is a very hard time for micro launchers because I mean who wants to spend thirty thousand or fifty thousand per kilogram on a micro launcher if they don't have to, right? And and then these days you have solutions where you have a small transfer stage and you will be kicked out uh, from a space re- uh, SpaceX rocket for very low cost, and you have a transfer stage that brings you to your desired orbit, and and that could still be lower cost than than buying your own rockets. So, yeah. So I would say the as a as a matter of fact, we we haven't launched anything with SpaceX yet. But of course, uh, we're big fans of of their pricing model. Uh, I mean, who who wouldn't? Uh, and I have actually uh, written articles about that, uh, arguing that that is the death spell for CubeSats because I mean, uh, the, the there goes the the cost advantage on launch. But uh, yeah. So that's that's where we've launched with mostly Indian at the moment. Chinese will be coming up and. If I would be a betting man, I would say lots of the future customers will go with SpaceX.
2: Interesting, cool. uh, and you didn't mention uh, mentioned Ariane, so uh, that's what was I didn't mention Ariane. In,
1: in fact, right, yeah, I didn't mention Ariane and I didn't mention Vega. Yeah, so the, we we they weren't an option for us in the past because they were typically like five times more expensive than uh, what anybody else was offering in the market and. Um, uh, despite my uh, enormous love for, for Europe, uh, as such, uh, I mean, uh, I'm a businessman and I mean, 10% more than the others. I, I, I could, you know, uh, argue with the customers, but if I yeah. would have to tell them, okay, it's three times or four times the price, that doesn't really make sense. And the other thing is that, uh, that uh, what comes with, with SpaceX is, is not in the right program is not only the, the low prices, but it's also the, the very high cadence, right? So normally you have uh, rockets uh, that go one, two, three times a year, and then the numbers of orbits that you that you want to have is is very low, right? But but SpaceX has now said they're going to launch every month. Nine out of these twelve launches will be in inclined orbits, but three will be sun and so that's pretty good combination, I would say. And of course, uh, as soon as there's something else uh, popping up, and as soon as uh, Vega would launch every month uh, and would give me prices at let's say five thousand euros uh, a kilogram, I, I would go, Yay, Vega! Um, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, uh, uh, I would, uh, wouldn't love anything more uh, than that, right? So, but uh, at the moment, it's just simply not the case. At the moment. It's very slow. It's uh, it's very expensive, and um, Europe really has to do some catching up there to do.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, we we also had a lot of um, more more political events, as you know, in Berlin. Of course, you can attend a lot of those, and um, yeah, I remember also in, in the past a lot of presentations, also from the Ariane team, and I, I hope that uh, they will uh, get uh, yeah get get on speed in the next uh, next years. Um, hopefully, uh, I mean, uh, on the other hand, we also have like, um, ESA aerospace, uh, a small, like a micro launcher, but, yeah. um, uh, I mean, hopefully they will be as cheap as a launch with SpaceX. Um, and you save uh, the, um, uh, yeah, the, the stage, uh, to, to get to your dedicated orbit. Um, yeah. and, uh, but, but let's see, I mean, um, yeah, maybe one last question I had regarding your, your products. Um, and, uh, Do you also think about downstream services? Because, I mean, you're you're doing so many things and (laughs) you're a passionate entrepreneur. So did you think about launching your own constellation with your own payload uh, and your own product at the end as a software product to customers or...
1: Let's, let's put it like this. I'm, I'm always scolding the guys, uh, that, um, that, uh, say they are a, a downstream company and the first thing they do is build a satellite, right? It, it would bode rather bad if, if I myself, uh, being a, um, somebody that is clearly focused on the upstream would suddenly say, Oh, I know what, what the world needs uh, in the downstream, right? So that, that's. That's a given, right? So, so it's not something that comes natural to us. On the other hand, we also see that uh, that with with all the mass manufacturing and so on, the the margins in the in the upstream will get smaller and smaller, and uh, the business will in the end be done in the downstream. It has to be done in the downstream, right? And so. What we are thinking more about is is uh, collaborating with people that that are working in a downstream and know what they're doing in a downstream, but maybe don't have the the access to do it right. And and it's the same way that that uh, entrepreneurs would go and say, okay, I um, I go to a venture capitalist and uh, and uh, and ask them for some millions to buy a satellite to do my to do whatever I want to do. Um, we want to position ourselves basically to do something similar. That if somebody has a a good business idea for the downstream and needs to have a constellation, then I can imagine a a, a point in time where I say, okay, I have a factory. I probably with my partners in India have access to a launch uh, that is not so expensive, or use a SpaceX and that's not so expensive either. So I'm I'm getting you those satellites into the air but for that uh, similar like a, a venture capitalist i would basically uh, take uh, uh, um, basically shares or in 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 the in the in the company that is utilizing the constellation right and i always call it is probably something like a venture uh, technologist so to say i'm i'm providing the ability to do that uh without uh, having to go via a venture uh, capitalist um but we're not yet there uh, but it's something that i would want to do uh, i don't see myself saying okay I build, now built a a big constellation of uh, I don't know 100 Earth observation satellites, and uh, I'm going to sell the data to God knows who because uh, that is where the market is. Uh, I simply don't have enough. Uh, um, I don't I simply don't have enough oversight about these um, downstream markets, but I I can see foresee an, uh, a situation where where somebody that has the need. For that comes to me and says okay uh, I need a constellation but I at the moment can't afford uh, to pay I uh, what uh, 200 300 million for it um, and uh, I can say um, maybe production of those is not so expensive launching I can potentially also organize let's work together right so that that is something that that I that I can see uh, I myself uh, uh, doing downstream all by myself is is difficult to imagine with partners yes alone probably no
2: and um, so, uh, yeah, Sven, you have some more questions about the funding, right? Because what you just said, so for all of our listeners who now want to build a downstream uh, application, but they need uh, their own payload. I mean, you, you know, uh, you have to contact Tom. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, regarding the status of the factory, what would be a perfect time for this? Is it this year, next year, uh, or in three years?
1: Um, so, yeah, so, so things got a bit delayed because of the, uh, you know, not to be talked about situation out there. Mm. Uh, so we, we, we uh, originally had the plan uh, to, to finish our first satellite by the end of, of this year and then ramp up. Uh, but uh of course uh not, nothing much moved uh, physically um, uh, I mean literally also because you couldn't travel uh until now from when this mess started and uh so uh so I think we're gonna have a delay by probably six to twelve months uh and so I think the the ideal time to to talk with us about these things is probably from mid mid next year onwards, uh, because we could potentially talk already right now. But then until, uh, you know, end of next year, I probably don't have opportunities to fly something, right? I think but maybe I th-
0: Tom, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but maybe we can take a step back. Maybe you could give us a general framework about we the factory already came up <laughs> several times right yep. uh daniel and i know what you're talking about but i think a lot of our listeners don't know what we're, what you're talking about so there's berlin space technologies and you have a collaboration in india where you want to build a, a factory for satellites but what's the framework uh, how many satellites do you want to build you already touched on the time frame here
1: yeah the the factory, yeah. So so imagine uh, sometime back in, in 2000, uh, probably 13, 14, right? So there were the first ideas coming up on uh, from several players in the market that you could do mass manufacturing. I mean, you can mention SSTL with their X50 platform, right? And uh, to be honest, we got a bit scared back then because uh, these guys said, uh, you know, back at that time, we were building a satellite for probably between two and a half to three million each. And and then SSTL basically said, we have this new grand plan with these technologies that you can see in this paper, and we're now able to build a satellite in six months, and it will not cost us more than 1.5 million pounds. And that was quite a shock, uh, because of course, uh, you know, if, if, uh, SSTL can do that, um, then, uh, then, uh, there's no big cost advantage on, on our side anymore. And, uh, so we said, okay, we need to be factor three better in cost than SSTL. So we'll need to get our satellites down to probably half a million. And we sat down and we're like, okay, that, that really doesn't work. So how how do we do that? And uh, the answer to that is, of course, you need to streamline. And I touched on the technologies uh, that we have developed to do that. But you also need to increase the amount of uh, satellites, right? Because I pointed out earlier that if you have a team of 10 people that builds uh, one satellite every year, then the cost, the labor cost is 1 million per satellite. But if the same team builds 10 satellites per year, then the labor cost is only 100,000 per satellite, right? and uh, And from there, we were basically looking for where we can build a, a factory, or, or you know ultimately, you want to have a factory to do that, and we were thinking, "Do we do that in Germany and Then we figured out there are no customers in Germany, right? So you need to go to the customer. Um, you probably want to do in it in a place where you have skilled labor, you have a rocket and uh, and the labor is not so expensive. And so when we when we were making our matrix there um, with the requirements English speaking, uh, have a, a stable political system, has a rocket, uh, and well educated uh, well educated but not so expensive labor, um, the list is pretty short and uh, India is uh, is is in that. And so uh, I have a couple of very good friends in India, um, uh, like. You probably know Naryan Prasad, uh, mm-hmm. NP, um, a big guy in uh, New Space India, uh, has his own blog as well, very, very, very good friend. And uh, he at that time, together with a few other people, wanted to build a, a company. Uh, the company still exists, but uh, he's not no longer part of it, called Dhruva Space. And so from I think, was that 2012, 13 onwards, we were like, okay, let's try to find funding uh, to build that Indian uh, entity. and and But it it never really worked out. We had these uh, two uh, two startups uh, that uh, had all the grant ideas, uh, the right grant ideas, but never had enough funding, right? Uh, but then, with uh, with uh, you know uh, common friends uh, um, and running around in India trying to do these things, um, one day I was uh, introduced by uh, by another friend. Uh, um, uh, uh, Sanjay Kanti, also from Dhruva Space, uh, to to some guys from uh, from the uh, Hetero Group. Uh, that's a big medical uh, company in in India, and and they were looking for a partner uh, for for to do some something in in the space uh, business, right? They had already founded a, a subsidiary to do that called Azista, um, and and they were looking for for an outside partner because uh, they were trying to do that in India, and they had a problem that. Um, it was very hard to 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 uh, get traction in india because uh, uh for for various reasons um there was one the, the problem that the that the indian space uh, research organization at that time had a had kind of a monopoly on all the technology and was not very open to share those. Uh, and, and the second point is that if you go and it, it's not right, I mean, but it's the reality that, that if you would go with an Indian company on the, on the global market and, uh, and uh, say, I have a satellite to sell, they are always like, India, why do, do you even have space? right? And, and of course, that's, that's completely wrong, but that's the reality. And so they were looking for, for a partner that could then give them uh, you know both the pedigree uh, as, as with the technology as well as the the branding that was internationally recognized and since we were running around in India at the same time uh, that uh, that was then place where we were introduced, and so that was must have been around two thousand and sixteen right and so from two thousand and seventeen we had then made the agreement that we would want to do that and Well, as things take time, it took about two and a half years to uh, work out the contracts. Um, Our colleagues in India had already started building the factory. Um, We on our side uh, um, asked the German government to give us an export license for the technology to build a satellite in uh, in India. That uh, also took some time. And then finally, uh, basically at the end of, uh, last year, all things came together, right? The, the, the factory was there, uh, with, uh, with a capability. I mean, it is designed to have a capability of 250 satellites every year. Um, uh, we, we already have, uh, uh a big team there. So the, the, our Indian partners, uh, uh company Azista basically already has something like 150 people, uh, a pool of, of people that we can tap into. Um, they already have two buildings there uh, uh one factory to manufacture subsystem one factory to manufacture and and assemble the the satellites uh in in total i think uh something like seven half seven and a half thousand square meters so quite big and um and uh basically um at just at the just in February, basically this year, everything was ready right and then uh then uh, the big mess uh, hit uh, and uh, so uh, now we are basically in the in a process where we are kind of remotely trying to educate uh, our our colleagues in india how to how to build a satellite right of course, there was uh, the plan uh, beforehand uh, to travel there and and do a lot of these things uh, uh, by visiting them but uh, of course imagine we, you can imagine that this at the moment not really uh, a possibility right
2: um so i mean we could do uh, another podcast only talking about <laughs> your, your your factory in that's india good. and i i would love to do this uh, once um like uh, maybe you have hit uh, 50 satellites or 100 satellites there so we we shouldn't uh, wait too long for that. Um, that I hope, be, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> that would be uh, super, super cool and super interesting. Um, because, uh, uh, I think we will now come to an end of the podcast. I, I would love to talk longer to you, but, um, and I hope the audience would also love to hear your r- super interesting stories and funny stories about, um, your, your space, um, uh, yeah, adventure. But maybe as a, as, as the last question. I want to start with, with a story when like the first like when sven and i met the first day, first time uh i said already at the inner space masters 2016 we also hit you you were on stage and then there was a, a funny thing uh yeah you you were asked what you, you would do if you would be an astronaut and uh, just uh come into the international space station and you said the first thing what you would do is uh you would Put out a guitar and start to sing major tom to ground control <laughs> that was that was a great answer uh now i would love to hear from you also um like how how did it feel and and what did you do actually when your first satellite reached orbit and uh, sent down a signal
1: <laughs> oh that, that that is a nasty uh, nasty story and uh, um in in essence um uh, we had to work day and night uh, to get that uh, satellite into orbit, because unfortunately um, in the end uh, we had to assemble the entire satellite uh, uh, f- eight weeks before the launch, and I think we had only three weeks uh, from before the launch uh, uh, no for three weeks for integration before we had to ship the satellite, so we were all very overworked uh, and uh, um, i we launched the satellite and uh, I was actually at the launch pad and I had to rush to the to the airplane uh, because uh, uh, I had to go then to Singapore and uh, meet with my my colleagues. The problem is I I got the message that that we didn't hear the satellite, right? Mm. Uh, we 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 didn't we didn't hear the satellite uh, uh, at all. Actually, I didn't rush to the airport. I was rushing to Bangalore. I had another meeting with NP, and uh, so I was very very depressed because nothing happened and and so on. And that was uh, for the first like um, seventeen hours. And then I can remember I was on the way to the airport in uh, in. Um, in uh, in bangalore and uh, the the guy um, uh, I, I got Matthias on the phone and he said yeah, finally we have we have some uh, some signal from from the satellite and i i I, uh, I jumped and uh, I was singing and I was screaming like a little little child in the in the car, and probably the the taxi driver must have thought uh, because he he wouldn 't understand what I was saying in german right but i that I suddenly went insane and and the, the reason why we haven't heard anything from our satellite, the reason was uh, we had unfortunately plugged the antenna into the wrong, the, the antenna cable uh, <laughs> uh, into the, the wrong uh, receiver. Uh, and uh, so everybody was was overworked and uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, two antennas outside uh, and one was uh, only commanded and the other one was uh, standing still. And uh, in the end, uh, there were two cables, uh, cables and one of them was plugged wrong and uh, uh we got we got the, uh, the the message so to say when we were starting to listen into other satellites and we didn't hear them either <laughs> uh, and then we were like wait a minute this is the this is not us uh, this is the this is the uh, this is the antenna actually and uh yeah so then it was just a matter of plugging in the antenna and the other cable and from there we were we were good and running but uh, but uh, that first uh, 17 hours were very depressing i can tell you <laughs> and uh, every, everybody else was like yeah, yeah, we have heard our satellites already, and then only like after 17 hours we were like, oh yeah, um, that was the antenna. Uh, and uh, but uh, from there on, it was uh, fortunately uh, a lot better. And uh, and yeah, my my moment to hear that was was in the. In the taxi with a, with a, with a Bangalorean taxi driver who didn't understand anything that I was saying. I was just looking very weird at me that I was in the back seat. Yay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I made it to space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So,
0: yeah. Well, that, that was another great story. And I think a perfect ending to, to really a great hour of, uh, of interesting insights into, uh, I think a, a very different approach on how to build satellites and, and really how to, how to be an actor in the, in the new space environment. I said, uh, really nice. Uh, we already know each other since, since four years and, uh, I'm, I'm really happy that, that you also found the time in your busy schedule to, to come on the podcast and share some of these insights with, with our, our listeners here at New Space Vision. So really bootstrapping is possible in New Space, uh, sector. Vertical integration is important, not only if you're building a, a rocket, but also if you're building satellites. You can utilize non-space parts, uh, and, and lower cost through that. And you should always balance uh, engineering time versus cost of launch and, and bigger materials. And there are a lot of other things you've mentioned. <laughs> and and so thank you very much, Tim. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, all the best from, from our end, from New Space Vision and Live. Here. And again, thank you very much for the time.
1: You're welcome. Talk to you soon.